Welcome to Planet Local Voices from the Local Futures podcast. In this series, you will hear from a wide array of voices who came together in 2023 to build a global movement for local economies worldwide. This episode features Deborah Ephraimson. Deborah is a tireless advocate for policies that support public health, well-being and happiness. She is the co-founder and executive director at Institute of Wellbeing, Bangladesh, and is a faculty member at the Asian University for Women. While her particular interests lie in urban planning and transportation, her holistic perspective leads her to envision profound transformations in economics, governance, and society as a whole. From Planet Local Voices, here's Deborah Ephraimson. When we talk about some of the resistance to localization or the attraction of globalization, obviously most of it is through advertising, whether it's direct or indirect, and the way that we are taught to be uniform corporate citizens or really consumers. So rather than be involved in our locale and our community and working for better governance, um, we are taught to desire things. And not even just desire, if you truly wish to live without a car in much of the world, it is extremely difficult because we design things so that you need a car in order to access what, what you need. And it should be the other way around. We should be discouraging and even getting rid of the cars and enabling the walking, the cycling, the public transport. And part of what I love is you're not just improving health or safety, not just improving the environment, not just um, helping with the climate crisis, but you're creating stronger communities. So when you go out on the streets walking or on cycles, you actually can interact with the people around you. And any problem you want to solve, that whole idea of resilience, how do you solve it if you don't know your neighbors and don't have a connection to your own community? So I'm lucky where I live in Dhaka, it's extremely low motorized neighborhood. Most people out on foot or on bicycles or in cycle rickshaws, and there's all this interaction. People know each other. There's all these vendors selling either just goods on their head or in front of them on the street or selling from bicycle carts. And it's just a, it's a thriving neighborhood with a thriving local economy, all tiny, tiny businesses. Um, so I can see, I get to see what that is, what that looks like. Um, I'm on the way to the US, which will be the opposite. But if you can keep the cars, motorcycles out of the neighborhood and enable that kind of thriving, kids actually walking to school, people outdoors, interacting with each other, that's the environment where people can come together and solve the other problems. We asked Deborah to paint a picture of what a car-free city would look like. When I describe a car-free city, I did a TEDx talk on this, um, if you imagine it, and you can kind of close your eyes, and I like to say walk through the different senses, so what would you see, hear, smell, feel, and instead of what we, we normally get, and it's actually a challenge when I ask um, students, what would you smell in a car-free community, car-free city, and they're, what would be a good smell, and they're just, they don't actually, they have trouble imagining a good smell in a city. Um, that's how far we are, detached we are from what we should have from the local. But what I do see and I do experience is you, know, you hear uh, laughter, you hear conversations at a normal level as opposed to people shouting over the sounds of the horns. Um, 
you see people moving around, shopping from tiny, tiny little local shops or vendor stands. Um, interactions, not just transactions. So when you go to buy something, there's a conversation. That's very, very common across Asia, I would say. That you don't, I mean, you walk into a supermarket, of course, there's no interaction. But when you buy from a market or a, a vendor, there's often a, a bit of conversation that happens. So the overcoming the social, social isolation. But smells, things like the ripe guavas on the, on the bicycle cart, you walk by and stop and just enjoy that wonderful aroma. Um, you could have outdoor cafes where you walk by and smell the coffee. And even if you're not going there, it's enhancing the environment. Whereas parked cars obviously only destroy the, the outdoor environment. So I've written this for, of course, for Local Futures website, but car-free cities and localization absolutely go hand in hand. Often when we think about lobbying, we think of big oil or big pharma, but it can be easy to forget how the very structure of our cities and the ways we get around, things so many of us take for granted, are equally shaped by moneyed interests. Deborah examines the costs of these so-called investments. Motorized vehicle companies, fuel companies and road building companies have huge influence on our governments and as a result, rather than have these local communities where people can access things nearby and local shops and kids walking or cycling to the local school and people being able to walk or cycle to work or ride a tram, we have to have everything sprawled and um, centralized and the idea that you always build more roads, it's always better, if you run out of space, just build elevated roads. And we land spending billions and billions of dollars on roads to promote cars. Um, cars are obviously extremely expensive to, to buy, but you are forced to, to be a functional member of society. Um, and then, of course, driving the cars, building the cars, driving the cars uh, fuels the climate crisis. Um, and crazy numbers in terms of 1.3 million people dying each year in road crashes. Um, cars obviously a huge contributor to air pollution, which kills another 7 million people a year, uh, but also the destruction of local communities. And I was happy to see the focus on corporations here, anti-corporate activity, because if we don't identify the corporations as the problem, we will never achieve the localization. And we can't just talk about the food corporations, we also have to talk about the corporations that are contributing to the way we destroy our cities through our misguided transport investments. Mm -hmm. For many years, Deborah has worked to bring democracy back into the design of our towns and cities, particularly in Bangladesh. We asked about the specifics of this work and to what extent it's actually possible to influence these decisions. Can we work together to take on the power of corporate lobbies? We have one NGO I co-founded uh, literally 25 years ago, which uh, is an advocacy organization where we work with government to draft, pass, and implement better laws on health and the environment. And although it's been challenging, um, I have seen the power of movement building because we have managed to get some really good policies enacted and implemented. Just one brief example, we got people from around the country to lobby for a separate ministry of rail because most of the investment was going into roads and highways and expensive, um, a lot of environmental problems, takes up a ton of space that otherwise could be farms, um, and it's much more dangerous. So we wanted more attention to trains as a method of when it's needed for long distance travel. 
and we got a national movement and quite quickly I was surprised how quickly it happened we actually got the Ministry of Rail Railways so that was one big success um, we've done lots of other campaigns like that and the other NGO I co-founded 10 years ago is the Institute the first one is work for a better Bangladesh the second one is Institute of Wellbeing which basically was to counter these economists the ideas about economics this whole thing about GDP and growth and destruction is good we can fix everything after we get wealthy enough um, and work with young people mostly university students to understand these myths about economics uh, show them a better way and encourage them to maintain their idealism and find a practical expression so a lot about teaching activism but yeah it's been all about movement building countering the common paradigms getting people to see things differently and it's been fascinating when we for instance teach about car free cities and the first reaction is what Are you guys crazy no one's going to give up their car and then after even a couple days they really start to come around and say ah yeah i no longer want a car i can see how beautiful it would be to have this car free city i want kids playing outdoors i want kids walking and cycling to school i want to be outside enjoying myself not constantly under threat of being killed by a car the biggest barrier to all this positive change is the transnational corporations and their influence on government and i worked for many years on tobacco control where it was a global movement that shared ideas that we could then implement in our own countries to get our governments to stop listening to the tobacco industry and instead protect public health and sharing those ideas um, and methods across different countries meant that there was actually a global shift <coughs> excuse me to tobacco control um, and learning those lessons that it is possible to reduce corporate power if we come together but well a lot needs to be happening on the local level there's policy decisions that can make that local work impossible or can wipe out all of our <coughs> all of our successes so for instance um, you know working on transport and the government was keen has been keen since the 1980s to ban the cycle rickshaw so it's a great method of transportation it's obviously environmentally friendly no fuel creates hundreds of thousands of jobs door-to-door -door transport all these benefits but if you can move easily without a car why would you buy a car so of course there are groups including the World Bank that wanted to see them banned to force people to take out loans and buy a car or a motorbike and again it took many groups coming together to block the planned bans so there were all sorts of bans planned on different streets we managed to block um, quite a few of them and then you've got the rickshaw pullers back. Well, they eat breakfast sitting at a little local stand on the side, sidewalk. Um, when you're in the rickshaw, you are completely part of your environment. You're not isolated in a one-ton steel box. So we could then help to increase that, that community cohesion that comes from having the rickshaws, but we would have lost all that if we had not fought the ban. So to me, it, the work needs to take place on, on both levels. Not that all of us have to work on both levels, but the advocacy, the national level, or the at least even local politics, but the, the political part has to accompany the on-the-ground work, and preferably, obviously, there needs to be a connection between the two. Mm. I was a bit concerned early on because we did so much advocacy, and I felt like we were losing touch with what's happening on the ground, and we started doing more community work just so that we could be in touch with the people we're supposedly helping. Because to sit in the capital and, and on constantly being working on advocacy issues and then not actually in touch with the people you're supposedly helping, you might go down the wrong path and think that you're doing the right thing, but um, get misguided. So I think that they're both important. 
From her experience working at all these different levels, Deborah highlights the need to come together beyond single-issue campaigns in a broad-based movement for localization. I've seen the power of global movements, as I said, with tobacco control, where we had a super organized, very well-funded movement that allowed people in different countries around the world to block the interference of tobacco industry in government decision-making. And we could not have done it on our own in, in you know, replicating this across every country in the world. It's exhausting. Um, it's a lot of resources and it's extremely difficult. So when people come together and you, you learn from each other and create these networks, um, build together, all kinds of things become possible. It's also obviously more enjoyable when you're not working alone. Um, but yeah, I see, when I first heard, I only heard about Local Futures about two years ago um, through a Nepali colleague, Shao Shastra. But as soon as I learned about it and watched Economics of Happiness, I was like, oh, thank goodness, here it is. Here it is, because I get so tired. I, my background's in public health, and people focus on, tend to focus on a single issue, and they don't see it in a broader context. So even my tobacco control friends, they wanted an exception for tobacco from global treaties. And I said, why aren't we just fighting the global treaties, the trade treaties? And they said, no, that would be too difficult. And I said, well, no, it wouldn't be too difficult if we did it together. But all they wanted was a cutout for tobacco. And they couldn't see that it's exactly the same thing across every other industry. And it is a waste for us to have so many resources and only use them to fight one particular industry. And they all thought tobacco was the worst industry. And they got mad at me for suggesting, well, what about cars? Come on, guys. Like, tobacco does a lot of harm, absolutely, kills a lot of people, but it's not destroying communities the same way highways do. You put a highway through the middle of a community and it's dead, it's gone. I, I had not realized until, you know, I was doing the research actually for a book I wrote um, called Beyond Apologies, but the, um, the fact that governments are handcuffed, but they actually handcuff themselves by signing these treaties that uh, allows corporations to sue a government if the government passes a law that could, not even does, but could reduce profits. So we fought this with tobacco control where a government, for instance, Thailand was trying to keep, um, they had a higher tax, I think, on uh, imported cigarettes and that violated the trade treaties. You have to treat everybody the same. Um, so trying to get the generic packaging, that was actually a court battle in Australia where they wanted to do generic packaging. And of course, the tobacco company said, you're going to reduce our profits. And that is illegal under the trade treaties. <clears throat> and worst of all, what court does it go to? It's a corporate court, right? It's not just a regular court of law. So the idea that you are, as a government, whose obligation should be to protect the health and the environment of your country and your people, are signing away your right to do so the possibility that you affect corporate profits like it was like out of a nightmare movie like surely this doesn't this can't be the case but yeah um, governments are happily signing away people's rights um, and how do you fight corporate control when the corporations have convinced your governments to sign these treaties and you are forced to do all this export and the, the crazy trade it's not by choice you are then obligated to do all that so the, um, you know, ex exporting and importing the same amount of the same product because you're forced to buy a, tr a trade treaty. It's yeah, a complete dystopia. And in order to get to the beautiful world of localization, we absolutely have to fight those trade treaties and regain our ability to have laws and policies that protect the health and protect the environment and reduce as opposed to increasing the power of the corporations. That's the only hope for the future.
um, and trade is absolutely a vital piece of that. You cannot get where we need to go without fighting these treaties. To wrap up, Deborah offers some suggestions as to how you can get involved in the activist movements she's a part of. I'm also with Car Free Cities Alliance and uh, we do have a global alliance and when we say Car Free Cities, people can see it in different ways. I would love to see a city with essentially no motorized vehicles other than public transport, um, trams and trains. But um, however far you are along on, on that, that path, the idea that greatly reducing cars and motorbikes in our cities would make life much better. And if you design cities to enable people to access what they need close to home, localization, we would save all of that money, much less pollution, um, far fewer, almost no road crashes, um, happier people. All of that could happen if we reduced the cars and actually designed a city that can be a local city. Um, so if people are interested, uh, please visit the Carfree Alliance, uh, carfreealliance.org website and join our movement. That interview was recorded in September 2023 at the Planet Local Summit in Bristol, UK. To get notified about new episodes, subscribe to our channel or sign up to our mailing list via localfutures.org. Also find on our website a vast collection of resources for education and big picture activism to shift the economy from global to local. And of course, we hope you'll tune in to other inspiring thinkers and movement leaders featured on the Planet Local Voices series. Until next time, thanks for listening to Planet Local Voices from the Local Futures podcast.